So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Are you ready? It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 273 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. I'm really glad you're listening this week because I have a great chat with Terrence Grace from a terrific comic called The Locksmith. There's a Kickstarter going on for issue three of The Locksmith. And, of course, you go to Kickstarter and look it up there. It's described as 44 pages of neo-noir mystery, fantasy, and science fiction. We talk about the characters and about how he expanded from movie storytelling to comics. We discuss how he brought the team together that makes the books and what we might expect from him and them in the near future. Just a quick note, the introductory music and voice section is from the Kickstarter itself, so I hope you'll enjoy that. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. I hadn't called it in yet. What was I going to say? Got a 5150 mental case. He was dead all right. Thing is, I wasn't so sure about myself. By order of His Grace, I have been dispatched to arrest the man known as the Locksmith. I am he who is called the Locksmith. I am the Locksmith. I am the Locksmith. Crazy, he called it. Something to look forward to, he'd say. Bob was right. Here it was. The crazy. I'm talking with Terrence Grace, one of the driving forces behind a really interesting series of comics called The Locksmith. And you've got a Kickstarter going on right now, don't you, Terrence? I do, Wayne. And we've got a little over a couple weeks left. We've already hit our goal. Really? Wow. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. So no more heart attacks every day when you go look at it? That's over with now? 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's that initial goal, and that's really just the absolute base that I need to get it printed. And anything more than that, of course, it means getting it out to more and more people, and it helps me finance the artwork for the next issue. Mm-hmm. Which is terrific. You must have expansion goals or uh, things that are going on. Do you want to talk a little bit about them before we get into the book? Sure. We just unlocked our first stretch goal, which was at 4,500. We needed 3,000. Mm-hmm. And when we hit 45, Silvio, my artist, Silvio DB, is offering his sketchbook, which he just published. Mm-hmm. And that's going to go out to everyone, including. Just the digital pledgers. The PDF will go out to everyone, and then people who back at what I'm calling the master locksmith level will actually get the print edition. Okay. Now, to get to it, of course, when you go to Kickstarter, you look up locksmith? Is that how you get to Uh, it? It's under the locksmith issue three. Okay. Yeah, wow. Okay, very good. You're taking a quick look at it right here. So I have not donated yet, but I will pledge here when we get done talking today. Oh. I'll be able to get some good stuff out there and kind of help. I like to support good books. And I've read the first three issues. You sent me an excerpt, or you're calling it, or some kind of a preliminary version of issue three. Before we get into all that and the, and the specifics, talk to me about what The Locksmith is about, what the series basically has going on. Well, I'll go back to how I first wrote this, what the source material is. Okay. And uh, I had moved to Los Angeles from New York City. I guess it was about seven, eight years ago. And I was working on a screenplay. It's called The Locksmith. And I had been working with my manager at the time with it. And and we had been taking around various studios. And everyone kept coming back wondering what the graphic novel source material was. Well, there was no graphic novel. It was an original screenplay. But that got me thinking that, well, you know, maybe I should uh, turn this into a a graphic novel or a, a series of issues and see what happens with it and so i started that i have aside from writing filmmaking background i have an art background i went to Mm -hmm. art school Mm -hmm. and so this is very much up my alley and in the adaptation it really has taken off in a whole other direction Mm -hmm. it's really opened it up which is great for the medium for the comic medium Mm -hmm. so where it was really more of a noir police procedural in the original screenplay has many more fantasy and sci-fi elements have opened up mm-hmm. one thing that you'll see in the uh, comic series is there's a lot of time traveling going on mm-hmm. and that was not in the original screenplay well, how did that happen just, i mean did you as it came up it just sort of presented itself to you because i'm always fascinated by the creative process and i think what you intended originally, and now all of a sudden the comic opens up different things. Was it something you wanted to do in the screenplay but didn't do it, or was it something that just kind of happened as you were rewriting it for the comics? Well, I think both mediums kind of have limitations, their own limitations, their own parameters. And certainly in a graphic format, you're just allowed to really explode out in other directions that you can't really do it when you're making a movie. And a lot of it is just uh, being able to create an expansion of time and space within just a few panels Mm -hmm. that when you're writing for the screen, it's much more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And what really precipitated the idea is 
I had a backer on issue one who pledged at a level that would give him a background character in the next issue. Mm. And as I worked on the character with Silvio, I really started to get into this and I created a whole backstory for this person mm-hmm. and it worked so well that I made him a main character <laughs> and that was kind of the first spawn into this other dimension, this time traveling. Mm-hmm. And I always try with all of my characters to bring a historical truth to them. Mm-hmm where even if they are fantastical, there is something grounded in truth in a real-life character. So certainly this new character that you see pop up in issue two and again in issue three, he's also called the locksmith. We don't really know who the locksmith is. Mm-hmm. could be a lot of people. Mm-hmm. could be the locksmith. But back in 17th century Italy, he's called Il Fabro, which is Italian for locksmith. Okay. And by issue four, the connection between our detective, who is a modern-day locksmith, and Il Fabro back in the 17th century will be realized. It's really a fascinating story, because as I've read the comics, I've really enjoyed this kind of a horror fantasy element to it, Mm -hmm. as well as the detective kind of things. Talk a little bit about what's the TV Guide version of the locksmith? Well, our detective, Mick Fagan, his brother is murdered in issue one. And while he's uncovering that mystery, he becomes involved in this old Bronx tenement building that seems to hold some kind of a gateway to other dimensions. And as he gets more and more embroiled in the mystery, he uncovers a secret organization that seems to be managing all of these gateways mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. And he starts working with what appears to be the old locksmith who died in, in the very beginning mm-hmm. and his daughter. And she makes it clear to him that he's being called by a secret force whom she calls Lucero, mm-hmm. which is actually based on an Afro-Cuban Orisha And that's something that's based in reality. And Lucero is the keeper of doorways and gateways. Mm -hmm. And she implores him to explore this, go with it. And it seems that there's something in his own past, his own personal past, that has to do with the death of his mother Mm -hmm. that may be the key to this whole mystery. Mm -hmm. So that's the driving force that moves him forward. But as he continues on this journey bigger and bigger and quite fantastical things begin to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil any of the things, but one of the things I noticed right away when I started to read was that some people, when they spoke, their word balloons were yellow. They had a yellow background instead of white like other people. And as I come to read the story, there's a reason for that. And I don't know if you want to spoil that at this point, because there's things going on that are, are I think it's important as you read it, unless you feel it's something that people could know. But just to let people know that visually, as well as the script, there's a lot going on that's intertwined real well. I really like that. Oh, great. Well, there is this this thing that I've always grappled with while I've been writing it, and that is how to express Lucero. Because he, at this point in the story, we don't know if it's a physical entity, some sort of spirit, but he certainly 
speaks through people, and that's what you're talking about when these yellow word balloons pop up. Did you have that in mind when you wrote the script, or is that something that the artist provided? How did that come to be? I'm really hands-on when I write the script. I lay everything out. Sometimes I sketch as well. Mm -hmm. And since I do my own lettering, all of that is really a process that I'm really involved with. And, you know, as I first started lettering it back in issue one, just kind of developing a style, a structure of styling that I can refer back to, that's when that came out. I I was looking for some sort of a voice of Lucero. Mm And that seemed to work pretty well. Mm-hmm. I got a kick because in your comics, it lists that you have four functions as far as the comic goes. It's this concept, writing, design, and lettering. So this, <laughs> talk about being hands-on. That's a lot to have one person do on a comic. Is that Are you experienced with this in the, in the past? Was this your first time doing it? How did this come to be as far as you being able to do these things in a comic? This is my first comic. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I have an art background, and I've done some oh, interesting kind of work with typography and abstract stuff before. So I really was always very specific on layout. And when I first started working with Silvio, we did a lot of tests, not only with sketching and layout but just essentially how we were going to work together since i was very hands-on i didn't want to step on his toes Mm -hmm. and that actually i I love working with him because he is fine with me being very pointed what i want Mm -hmm. but he feels the freedom to take it in a different direction if he thinks it should go that way Mm -hmm. so we're actually our work is quite quick together Mm -hmm. And it's done all remotely, too. So I was going to ask you about that. How did you come across Silvio? Did you know him before? Did you meet him online? How did that happen? I met him online on a website called conceptart.org. Mm-hmm. I put a call out for artists and, as you can imagine, got just an enormous number of responses. And I actually started working with another young artist who I really liked a lot, but I think the scope of the project was too large for him to commit his time. And Silvio was another artist. He's based in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And he did everything on issue one, Mm -hmm. pencils, inks, and color. But he has a number of other projects that he's working on. So we brought on uh, another Brazilian artist, a colorist, Anderson Cabral. Mm -hmm. And he takes over coloring in issue two. And we all work really well remotely together, but it's all email and, and uh, you know, Dropbox. Mm-hmm. Well, i got to ask, being from Brazil, is, they speak in English to you? I thought Portuguese was the main language in Brazil, but I may be wrong on that. I was just kind of curious, has language been something you guys have worked with, or did they understand English and that made it kind of easy as far as that goes? Yeah, English is fine. I mean, it's obvious... English is not Silvio's first language, but he's very good at speaking English. And mm-hmm. if there are some concepts that he may not understand in my writing, we'll go back and forth over it. Cool. So that hasn't been a problem. Are you learning a little bit of the, his native language as well? <laughs> Portuguese is really hard. Okay. Um, I, I knew uh, I, I uh, 
took Spanish in high school and speak a little bit of that, but Portuguese is a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not even trying. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> I've well, been there, but yeah. well, the, the see the good news is, of course, the internet allows you here in America to talk with him in Brazil and make this great comic come together. Because you know, what were the chances you guys would ever interact without the internet? I mean, pretty minuscule. Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Just in all kinds of working relationships, what's possible with that. Yeah, especially given that we can, as we are now, having a, a remote conversation, I, I can do that with my artists as well. Very cool. Well, see, that's, that's you know, some people get mad at the Internet, but I have to say I kind of like it. It allows a lot of things to happen that we might not have done without it. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And, I mean, look at Kickstarter. That has opened up a whole new distribution path for comics. Mm-hmm. And it's very cool. I mean, it actually, uh, just early this morning, I got my first brick-and-mortar pledge from an actual comic retailer, which I'm always pleased about. Ooh, very cool. Now, have you done, yeah. I haven't noticed, but have you done Kickstarters for all three issues? Or Yes. Okay. So, you have, so you're getting good at this by now. Well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, it's difficult. Each issue is... 48 pages, including covers and end sheets. Mm -hmm. So they're much longer than normal issues, and therefore the process is longer than kicking out shorter issues, Mm -hmm. standard-length issues. Mm -hmm. So I always worry about the fan base that is slowly building, getting bored and distracted when a new Kickstarter comes out. But so far, we've been doing pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. The very first Kickstarter was for the entire graphic novel. Hmm. I had not originally broken it up into five issues. And for the entire one, I, I needed, I think it was 19000 and we raised fifteen. So it was a lot, but we didn't quite get there. Wow. And I believed in the project so much that I decided, all right, I'm going to break this up into smaller bits. And that might be a little bit easier for people to feel safe that this is actually going to get made Mm -hmm. and pledge accordingly and it has it's worked great you know i'm looking at the website and i forgot i have already pledged i'm one of the people that sent one of the over 100 backers you've already gotten so oh yes you did you're right i forgot about that so i was you know i wanted to make sure that let people know that i have pledged and i and it's looking forward to getting all the good things I always like to say, and I don't want to say it too often, but I always feel badly when I think about all the great projects that we could have seen, but Kickstarter wasn't here to, to make it happen. Because now we're just this wonderful thing, and there's people saying that sometimes Kickstarter is like the second biggest producer of comics behind Marvel. I've seen people say that. And so, you know, it, it's just an amazing thing to have this happen. And you guys meet across the globe, and then we get to, in different places of the world and the country, be able to support your project and then be able to get the comic the way that we want. It's just, you know, I, I, Kickstarter is just this fantastic thing. And it's such a boon for podcasters because, you know, when somebody has a Kickstarter project, they want to get the word out. And so they'll often contact podcasters and say, can we be on your show and stuff? So it, I, I speak to a lot of people who do Kickstarters. And I'm glad for it because often this is how I find some of the best stuff that's out there, I believe. So I think it's a wonderful thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, as I said before, it really has become distribution path. The publishing industry is so difficult, and the margins are minuscule. So to bring it down to where a creator can actually market and distribute directly to the reader makes doing this possible. Otherwise, unless you've been in it a long time and have really developed a devoted base and you're maybe publishing or working for the big three, if you're not doing that, it can be next to impossible. So yeah, crowdfunding is great. Mm -hmm. It also is a way for you to test out, I think, test out new ideas, see what works, see what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, very cool. Because I had a friend of mine a long time ago. So he was watching, well, it was uh, Joss Whedon, and he had this project he wanted to get done, but he couldn't get the funding for it. And my friend said, You know, we should do that. We should put it up on the web, and everybody should be able to support it. And we all kind of laughed at him and said, That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so now, of course, we, we're seeing that his idea come to fruition. Unfortunately, he didn't found Kickstarter, but, uh, you know, he had the idea a long mm. time ago. So it's really interesting to see how this goes. So Now, my understanding is this is five volumes in this, and this is issue three is what you're working on right now. So there's two more to go after this one? There's two more, although at this point I am considering possibly making the fourth issue a bit longer to wind this up in four. I'll have to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my original script that I'm adapting from, but my process, I really am very process-driven, so I kind of wait to see how the art is going, how it's all working together, and I'm really not going to know if I can finish it up in four. Mm-hmm. I may have to go to five, but mm-hmm. I would like to get this done because the project has a much longer tail than just these four or potentially five issues. Mm -hmm. I've begun talking to some game designers, Mm. and that would be potentially the next step in producing a board game Mm -hmm. based on this. Cool. And ultimately, of course, I would like to take this back to film and TV, some Mm -hmm. kind of a series. Because I was thinking, they were asking you, where's the graphic novel it's based on? Now you can actually give them the graphic novel. Yeah, which exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I mean, speaking of Kickstarter, I've actually been contacted just cold from a couple of pretty big studios who saw the project on there mm. and are tracking it now. You know, that's happened before. I've heard of this happening. There was a, a story, a book that was about baseball and zombies, believe it or not. And he hadn't finished the Kickstarter before he got optioned by a filmmaking company. Oh, yeah. Sullivan Sluggers. Yes, that's the one. That's yes. the one. And I, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, let's be real. There's not a lot of tremendously creative concepts as far as like some of the TV and the movies that are going on. A lot of it seems to be retreads of stuff. And so I don't blame companies for looking to Kickstarter and maybe to comics and to other things to find something different and creative. So I'm not surprised that you're getting people talking to you because this is something that's that's really interesting. I could see this as a movie so easily. Mm. It really works so well as a movie. There's some things that you read that just scream certain things, and your scream's movie to me. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> that's where it started. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of a different kind of a story arc that I think, I mean, originally, you know, there was the, the entire graphic novel, which really pretty much followed a three-act process. But I had to, when I broke this up, I had to make each issue, although it's not an enclosed story arc, mm-hmm. within the overriding story arc of the series, I had to create some kind of an arc within each issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm first and foremost a screenwriter, mm-hmm. so that's probably coming through. How did you learn how to be able to translate this into comics? Did somebody help you? Did you like read some comics? How did you figure out how to make that happen? You know, when I decided to do this, I actually spent about six months immersing myself in that world. And although, like every kid, I went through the superhero comics, but I didn't really, into adulthood, continue with that passion. And I think things changed so much when the so-called graphic novel entered and Neil Gaiman and artists like Dave McKean whom I, I mean, Dave McKean, I looked at his work as inspiration, and, and I don't think The Locksmith is really similar to him, mm-hmm. but I think what really inspired me with his work was how he was able to take very abstract concepts and apply them graphically and on the page in, in such a manner that you may not fully get narratively what's going on but there's so much subtext to it and it becomes a very multi-dimensional experience as a reader and that really inspired me as i started figuring out okay how am i going to put the locksmith together how am i going to create this story mm-hmm. given that it is not i don't feel it is a typical kind of a superhero story it's much more dark there's a very personal message there and I really also have been adamant about creating really multidimensional characters mm-hmm. with, with strong histories. And mm-hmm. that, that's very important to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it took me about six months before I felt ready enough to begin working with an artist. Cool. cool. Well, you know, that's a good way to do it. Uh, pick the good stuff and then kind of learn how they do it and then apply it to your own stuff. That's a great way to, to go about making good comics, I think. Yeah. So let me ask you, because I want to talk a little bit about the main character, uh, Detective Fagan. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, one of the things about the book that I really like is the realism to things. The inks and the colors and stuff are all very, it's kind of, you talk about it being a dark story. Also, the art reflects that. But not only that, the characters reflect that. Because Mick Fagan, it looks like he's always getting the tar beat out of him. He's forever bandaged up. His hand is bandaged at one point, and he's got bandages on his face. And you know, it, in real life, a lot of times people end up, especially in the, that profession, they end up getting beaten up uh, to a pulp all the time. Because it's a dangerous profession, and and I like the fact that you show that in there. It bothers me when sometimes people just go through and they're never ever bothered, you know, never get a scratch from this stuff. And when they do a dangerous profession, but you don't do that. You go the realistic route, which I really liked. Yeah, well, I think I can give this away. Uh, I think I already did. At the end of issue one, his brother gets murdered. Right. His brother, who's also a fellow cop. Right. And the setup of issue two is really this angst, this guilt of the older brother and his dead brother and taking the ashes of his brother back to his father. And his father is 
not a nice guy mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And Mick, our detective, really ends up taking it out on himself. And it's clear that this is something that he's always done. Yeah. And he pays one of his informants to beat him up mm-hmm. just because of the pain he feels. And I think in the typical noir characterizations of these protagonists, I think this is a physicalization of something that's going on inside them, this turmoil. And so in film noirs, it's very much part of that. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that actually my detective has yet to shoot his weapon. He hasn't fired it yet, mm-hmm. but he keeps getting beat up. And sometimes that getting beat up takes place in other dimensions. Mm-hmm. Which is great. It's a profound story on many levels in the sense, because I've never seen that before in a comic, the sequence you were talking about, and I don't want to get too in-depth about it, but where he does that because he feels guilt and he feels anguish over stuff. I'd never seen that before. And so I've read comics for decades, literally. And so for me to be able to actually sit down and read something I'd never seen before, I love that. I mean, that's, that, <laughs> that was something real special to see. But all the books have been really interesting in the sense that they have gone places that I haven't gone before, which I really like. Oh. I, I need that kind of thing. You know, I, if I start out a book and I can tell you I was going to end up and the whole rest of the way, I'm bored with it. But I don't have any idea what you're going to do with this stuff. And I like that. I like not knowing. You talk about six months, you're ready to start writing. But for me, I've been reading for decades. And so often when I start reading a book, I go, okay, we're going to go this route. But Mm -hmm. your book, I don't have a clue what you're going to do. I really don't know. And I like that. Well, that's good. Some people like that. Some people don't. (laughs) I've been criticized. Actually, a good friend of mine, although he liked it, the first issue, he said, you know, this is not the way you're supposed to do it. (laughs) And I said, I know, but... First and foremost, it's got to engage me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm writing, but I'm the very first reader to read this. Mm-hmm. And if I know what's going to happen, I get bored with it. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee that it's all going to come together. There's a lot of mystery, but it's all going to come together. And I can say this, that deep kind of pain that Mick Fagan is feeling, it's related to his mother's death mm-hmm. that happened before we step into our story. And it's that kind of pain, that kind of guilt and anguish is really also related on a much larger scale to our collective guilt and pain. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately where the story goes to. It's really interesting. Now, I always like to ask people, do you base your characters on people you know? Are they products of your imagination? Is it a mixture of both? How did you come up with like McFagan and the other characters in there? Well, a lot of this is personal. Mm-hmm. There's been suicide in my family, mm-hmm. and I am an older brother, mm-hmm. and I know what it's like having to take care of a much younger brother Mm -hmm. and with an absent father that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. so yeah and i think the best kind of writing is when you use your own personal experience Mm -hmm. to at least begin speaking in another character's voice Mm -hmm. because it feels very real to me that's the thing about the book that i i I really like is that i feel like 
you could be transcribing a real experience. Of course, the fantasy parts and the sci-fi parts are a little out of the way, but as far as like who they are and how they act, it feels very real to me. Characters breathe when those kinds of circumstances are going on. I really felt like Mick and all the other characters, not necessarily the good ones only either, the, some of the ones that are not quite so good, they breathe as well too. I get a real sense of these could be real people, the way you've written them. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the cool things about to kind of segue momentarily back to the Kickstarter is I created these what I call character trading card sets Mm. and each Kickstarter campaign for each issue has its own six card set and each character has a short little biography that is not even necessarily in the story that you see Mm -hmm. But it gives you a little glimpse into, oh, this actually is a real character that goes beyond the page. And I, I love that. I mean, it helps me create – I mean, just as an artist, when you're first beginning a project, you create a, a series of sketches, color schemes, things that you can refer to. It's a, a visual structure so that as the story goes on and on and on, you can keep some kind of uh, standard going. And it's the same, I believe, in writing. When you're writing true, believable characters, Mm -hmm. you do have to have a rudimentary back history that you can refer to. So when you come across a problem in the story or something where your character has to react Mm -hmm. or act, Mm -hmm. you'll know what's going to happen. You'll know what that character is going to do because Mm -hmm. of their history. Mm -hmm. Which is cool. So, you did that for the main ones? You talked about this person that bought basically a character and you developed that. So, it sounds like you do for a lot of these characters, you develop these backstories, not just the lead ones. Yeah, everyone that has more than two or three pages, mm-hmm. there's definitely a backstory. And it's also, I want to do that because they may, given the nature of the story, mm-hmm. Even if they uh, die off, they may reappear somehow that I'm not even seeing. So I want to have something to refer to. And, you know, since I lived in New York City for 25 years before I came out west, Mm -hmm. and these are all New York characters, very Mm -hmm. much so. Mm -hmm. And I know them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you get that sense. You get the sense of how real these people are. And, you know, when they breathe like that, it's easy to get into and care about who these people are and what's happening to them. So I thought you did that real well. I was kind of astonished this is your first comic because it doesn't feel like it. it oh, feels thank like you. This has been, you've been doing this for quite a while and, and have gotten the ropes, but man, you picked it up pretty quickly, feels like. <laughs> thank you. I hope so. So let's talk about the future of this now. Of course, you talked about that it might wrap up in four and it might wrap up in five. Either way, yeah. we're going to get to some kind of a conclusion of this. We're kickstarting issue three right now, and I think there were a lot of questions that were brought up in Mm -hmm. in one and two. And three, you feel a sense that everything is merging into a very dramatic last act, Mm -hmm. which is going to be either in four or five. Mm -hmm. So there are still questions going on, but there's a huge dramatic end that I can't talk about the end of issue three that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. And it's something... That is, again, not in the original screenplay, as I was coming up with a way to conclude this issue for a great setup going into four. Mm -hmm. This idea came 
and I thought, is that possible? Can I do that? And I, again, wanted something, no matter how fantastical, Mm -hmm. I wanted something based in some kind of a historical reality. And I did some Googling, went back to researching some of the story, Mm -hmm. went back to my original entity, this Afro-Cuban Orisha called Lucero. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I'll I'll reveal this, because this was something that just floored me. Mm -hmm. I put the word bright star in one of the characters mm-hmm. mouths i thought mm-hmm. the code name for this thing that's happening we'll call it bright star mm-hmm. and i thought well okay bright star bright star and i went back and i just googled bright star mm-hmm. and lo and behold it's actually a direct translation of lucero and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff i love i mean that is literally if you were to translate lucero from mm-hmm. say spanish uh, into English, that is what it means, bright star. I can't tell you anything more than that, mm-hmm. but there is some history there with bright star back in the African Congo mm-hmm. in the slave era. Mm-hmm. So Very cool. See, I yeah. love that kind of stuff. I love learning things like that. I think that uh, we don't know enough of, kind of that kind of thing. The fact that you've gone into a different culture and found something like that is appealing, too, because I always feel that there's so much in the world that we don't quite know yet or understand or interact with. So when you're doing something like that, I really like that because I'm learning a little bit about somewhere else that I might not Because a lot of times in America, we're focused on American things, you know, and, and that's cool. But I like to see other things as well. I love other kinds of things. So this whole business that you're doing with the book, I think it's really exciting because we get to go someplace that we haven't, like I said, haven't been before. And I like all that kind of thing. I love it. I used to read Gardner Fox when he wrote Justice League of America way back, and he would teach science. You know, he would have the multiple ways, you know, the, the aspects of the physical world and things like that. And I come up going, oh, wow, I learned something. And with your book, too, as engaging as the characters are and stuff, too, there's still things going on that I'm learning from. And I love that kind of thing in a book. And it's one of the things I like about your comic a lot. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to let the reader work a little bit. Mm-hmm. I myself love things where there's a bit of a mystery, where I've got to go do a little bit of, if I'm involved in, in a story, I've got to do a little bit of research on the side. If it's just looking at what the heck that word means or, mm-hmm. or whatever, I don't always translate things. And uh, if it's in a different language, French shows up mm-hmm. a little bit in here. Mm-hmm. And I don't translate it because I think if somebody is interested enough, open up Google Translate, pop it in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of creates a lot of texture and depth to a story. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think that sometimes we should be able to take the initiative and try to figure out what's going on. I think with other languages and stuff, you never know. You might get into the French translation and then you discover, oh, that's what that means. You might have a whole new interest in French as a result of that as a language. Yeah. So I think that's great stuff. I hope a lot of people do that. I, I worry today. I, a lot of people want everything spelled out for them, but I don't. I like the way you do it. I want to pay attention rather than be dragged along. I want to be able to watch and go on the journey with you as you write it. So I like that. I think that's a smart way to do it. Good. Yeah, I did confer with a lot of writers, and I got about 50-50. People thought, yeah, that's okay. And the other 50 saying, no, 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 you have to put an asterisk 
in there and, and translate it at least the first time and then write it in English. And I said, no, we're looking through the eyes of this main character, this detective, mm -hmm. and this cop from the Bronx, he, he doesn't speak French. Mm -hmm. So we're watching this unfold as he is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to keep that bit of mystery going. Yep, it's terrific. I really like that. Like I said, it feels very real. And a lot of comics sometimes, even when there's fantasy and stuff, all of it, it doesn't feel grounded in reality. This is extremely grounded in reality, and I like that kind of stuff. I think it's just it's a great way to do it. So I think you've done a great job on pulling us all together. Let's talk a little bit more, because as I read on the website, this Kickstarter is going to conclude on Friday, March 31st at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time. So mm -hmm. there's, there's plenty of good time to get, jump on board and, and participate. A lot of people wait until you've met your goal and then the stretch goals start to appear to jump on because they want to get to the stretch goals. So if you're one of those people, this is the time. <laughs> get out there right now and look for the locksmith issue number three. And there's stretch goals coming. And it's a great book. I just think you're going to really enjoy it. If you want something different in your reading, and I love variety, and different always does good things for me when that happens. So The Locksmith is one of those books, I think, if you're somehow on the fence, I don't understand how, but if you feel like you'd like to get involved with this kind of a comic, I would recommend getting in there, supporting this, and see where this call goes, because I'm fascinated to see what you've got in store for us. Great, Wayne. Yeah, thank you. And And I just want to mention that for people picking up the print editions, this is beautifully printed. I mean, it's magazine quality. It's like photographic magazine quality, very heavy stock. And I have really went the extra route getting this uh, printed beautifully. So they're like each little collection pieces, I think. Wow. Pretty good. A lot of people, when they have a comic going out, like go to conventions. Mm -hmm. And are you going to go, like, to, say, San Diego or to uh, other conventions to promote the book? I have been waiting, but I think once issue three is out, you'll start seeing me around, certainly on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. But I felt with just having one and two, it wasn't enough to get going. And with three, I'm confident that I've got enough stuff, not to mention that I'm actually working on another graphic novel simultaneously to this. Oh, that was going to be my next question. Are there other things that you're working on that we should be aware of? Is this something you can talk about now, or is this something we need to talk about later? Yeah, I can talk about this. Okay. Um, it's something that I'm actually... I've got a couple of projects. Uh, this first one, which I hope to have ready to go right when I conclude The Locksmith, is something also based on another screenplay of mine, called Spanish Moss. And it's a dark ghost story that takes place in the Louisiana Bayou. Hmm. And that is very remotely more inspired by Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Hmm. And I'm actually doing the whole thing myself. I'm illustrating it as well. Oh, wow. And it's a whole <laughs> adventure. It's taken me a long time, but mm -hmm. the artwork is very, very different from The Locksmith. It's much more sketchy, watercolory, abstract in some places. And that inspiration that I uh, spoke about that Dave McKean brought me, I think it's more in that direction. Mm -hmm. Not your traditional 
comic setup, but it really breaks everything apart. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a website with some links, a uh, very simple website called SpanishMoss.me. Mm. Cool. That you can track. Okay. And then there's another project that I've been hired to do, and it's just in the very beginning stages, and it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. It's called Kyber Nights, and that is a story written by this gentleman who, in the early 80s, traveled by horseback through Pakistan and Afghanistan mm-hmm. during the Russian invasion in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a big, huge adventure. And we're going to start out first as a volume one graphic novel, and it's going to coincide with a television pilot that I'm also writing. Mm. So that's a big one. Wow, yeah, that is something. That's terrific that they picked you out and hired you to, to be able to do that. That's great. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Let me ask one question about Spanish Moss. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be like Locksmith and Individual Issues, or is that going to be a graphic novel? How's that going to work? It's going to be one novel. One novel, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it'll probably come in around 160 pages. Wow. Okay, and you're doing that all from scratch? You. Doing that all from scratch. Wow. Now, I experimented with this process for months and months and months as actually going back to while we were still working on issue two. I design my characters mm-hmm. on the computer using a 3D program. Mm. And it's very much like making a movie for me. Hmm. I create sets, design these sets, and then I bring everything into Photoshop. And that's where all the artwork takes place, the sketching, the painting, and all of that. Hmm. And essentially, I have a three-dimensional world that I can look around and frame up the camera. That's how I see this. Wow. And that process is very much how I start out with laying out a panel mm. in the locksmith as well, because mm. I, I see this as looking through a camera. Wow, all this is really fascinating. All these things are real. So you have to keep me in touch with what's going on so I can maybe write a review or do something else with it, too. We can talk again in the future, because it all sounds really different. I love different, as I said. And you're doing things that I have never even heard anybody talk about before. So I like that. I think that's really terrific that you're doing that. Mm, great. If somebody wants to like keep up with your projects and stuff, you mentioned the website for Spanish Moss. Are you on social media at all? Twitter, Facebook? I am. Actually, you know, the best, the easiest way is I've got my own website, TerrenceGrace.com. Okay. And that's really just a gateway for everything else. So mm-hmm. you can go on there. There's a brief little bio about me, but then there are links to the Locksmith's website. There's a link to Spanish Moss website. And then links to Facebook and Twitter as well. Cool, very cool. That's because a lot of these days people like to follow people who are creators, and it's a great thing to do. I, I, I like to do that as well. So it's pretty good stuff. I was going to ask, are you going to at all be at San Diego Comic Con this year? I may. What's the date of that again? San Diego is going to be Thursday, July twentieth through Sunday, July twenty third in San Diego. Of course, I am hoping that if I can get the uh, printed issues of Locksmith 3 back, I'm hoping the beginning of July, if I can do that, mm-hmm. then 
I'll go to San Diego. Oh, cool. Cause I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at a booth helping another indie comics creator. And it would be great to say hi because you're doing all this wonderful stuff. And, you know, I encourage you to keep it up because I'm just stunned that this is your first comic. Cause it feels extremely professionally done. Oh, so, thank you so much. When somebody does that, I just think that's the, the best. When somebody can figure out storytelling, because honestly, not every comic is this gem, but yours really caught me and really engaged me on many levels, and so I really liked it. So it'd be cool to say hi and see you out there in San Diego. Well, I'm close by, and even if I don't have three ready to go, maybe I'll stop by. Okay, that'd be cool. So, yeah, Terrence, keep it up. Your wonderful stuff. And, again, it's the Locksmith issue number three. It's on kickstarter.com. The project will fund, as we know, because you already reached your goal, on March 31st on a Friday at 3 o'clock Eastern time. So please be out there and support it because it's worthy of your support. And I think you're going to enjoy this kind of stuff. And, you know, Terrence, please keep it up. I'm really encouraged by what you're doing. I hope I get to see some more good things from you in the near future. Great. Thank you very much, Wayne. This was great talking about it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.